0: Well, thank you for letting me open God's word with you. Um, this is one of my favorite places in the whole world. It's not just because of the team down the street. Um, you and this is just very special to us. So thank you, it's an honor for me. Um, if you would turn in your Bible to Mark chapter nine, verses 14 through 29, uh, that's gonna be um, in your pew Bibles on page 844. And I should turn there myself. Page 844, what if they're right? What if they're right, Pastor? She called me one day out of the blue. I didn't know who she was. She said, look, you don't know me. I'm in a really desperate place, and I need a meeting with you. The next morning, she limped into my office. She was leaning heavily on a cane. Um, to look at, at her, you would know something—something um, something was very wrong. Her face was pale and sickly; her hair was thinning. I'm in chronic pain," she said. "I cry uncontrollably. My husband is a hard man. Our marriage began to unravel when I met Jesus a few years ago. I can barely walk without this cane and I'm only 50 years old. I can't find the strength to get out of bed most days and I'm wondering if I'm missing out on my children's lives. We spoke for a while and I asked her story and why she would contact a Christian pastor like me and she had told me that she had been in a Bible study with some very well-meaning Christian women who were telling her a not-so-Christian message. If you'll just have more faith, they said, then God will take away all of your suffering. You just have to believe. That's the theology of their church. That's the theology actually of many churches in South America and in Bogota, Colombia, our city where we served. If your faith is strong enough, then God will give you the good life, anything you ask for. But if you doubt, if... You doubt, then don't expect God to stick around or his blessings. She was hearing that in one ear, and in the other ear, she's hearing her antagonistic and abusive husband saying, Look at you, look at your suffering. Where is your God? If he really loved you, don't you think your life would be better? And she wanted to know, Why, Pastor, is this happening to me? And then she said it What if? What if they're right? What if all this is happening because I have failed? What if God is too weak to help me? What if my faith is too weak? What if? Is that a question that is a part of your Christian journey? What if? To be honest, um, I've been around churches long enough that I, that I noticed some churches are not very good at answering that question, at dealing carefully and graciously with iffy people wanting to know what, what if, but there's really good news for you this morning. Jesus invites us to walk down the mountain where this unspeakably holy, glorious transfiguration that you'll learn about next week just happened to walk down the mountain. To a crowd of people of chaos, a daddy and his boy who's writhing in agony because of a demon possession. And Jesus says, go ahead, ask me that question. What if? Listen to his answer, Mark 9, starting in verse 14. And when they came to the disciples, they saw a great crowd around them and scribes arguing with them. And immediately all the crowd, when they saw him, were greatly amazed, and they ran up to him and greeted him. And he asked them, What are you arguing about with them? And someone from the crowd answered him, Teacher, I brought my son to you, for he has a spirit that makes him mute. Whenever it seizes him, it throws him down, and he foams and grinds his teeth and becomes rigid. So I ask your disciples to cast it out. And they were not able. And has often cast him into the fire and into water to destroy him. But if you can do anything, have compassion on us and help us. And Jesus said to him, If you can, all things are possible for one who believes. Immediately the father of the child cried out and said, I believe, help my unbelief And he said to them, This kind cannot be driven out by anything but prayer. Let's pray. Lord, would the words of your servant's mouth and the meditation of all of our hearts here in this room or wherever we're watching and listening, would these things be pleasing in your sight? Our Lord, our rock, our redeemer, help us, Jesus, we pray in your name. Amen. What if... What if I fail when the inner circle, back to the the text I just read to you, when the inner circle of disciples was coming down the mountain from the transfiguration with Jesus, the first thing they found at the base was this big, loud crowd of people, and there was an argument in the middle of this crowd. It was the other nine disciples, and they were arguing with the scribes, these experts, in the Jewish law, it's Jesus' go to guys versus the know it alls of their day. Jesus interrupts the argument and he asks in verse 16, What are you arguing with them about? The disciples don't answer. The scribes don't answer. A desperate dad answers. Verses 17, 18 Teacher, I brought my son to you, for he has a spirit that makes him mute. Whenever it seizes him, it throws him down, and he foams, and he grinds his teeth, and he becomes rigid. So I ask your disciples to cast it out, and they were not able. There's the clue as to why they were arguing, the disciples and the scribes. It's because the disciples couldn't drive out this demon who had possessed this boy, and the scribes weren't feeling feelings of compassion towards the boy and his father. They were feeling feelings of superiority and arrogance and giving the disciples a sort of nananana boo-boo. You're not strong enough to cast out this demon. You've failed. Where is all your power now? It's really sad. How compassionless their hearts are. So who's winning this argument? Well, it's not the disciples. It's actually not the scribes either. It's the evil one. Satan himself, whose demons exist to mutilate and destroy the image of God by mutilating and destroying image bearers like this boy. That's who's winning the argument. Who's losing? Well, this boy, who's just waiting for another seizure to grip him. And this father... I imagine he too is in agony, always on edge, just waiting for the next seizure to come, wondering whether or not this will be the one that takes the life of his little boy, watching his son foam at the mouth, gnash his teeth, stiffen uncontrollably, unable to speak. Listen, if you've ever seen someone have a seizure, it's very scary, isn't it? If that's your little boy, and it happens over and over and over again, it rips your heart out every time. And so this desperate dad cries out, stop arguing, please just help my boy. And so he says to Jesus in verse 18, I ask your disciples to cast it out and they are not able. Or in the Greek, they were not strong enough. The disciples were too weak And here's the key to understanding the disciples in this passage. They see Jesus coming down the mountain and they're thinking what? Ugh, we just failed. We just failed to to heal this boy, to cast this demon out. Jesus is going to be disappointed with us. Do you ever feel that? That in your failure, perhaps... God is disappointed in you? You ever find yourself saying, Lord, you've given me these children to raise and I feel like all I'm doing is failing. Lord, you've given me this job, this way to serve your family. I can't do it. Lord, you've given me this relationship and called me to purity, but we keep messing up over and over. Lord, this one thing that I said I would never ever do again, I just did it, I failed. I failed. And so what if, what if I fail? The disciples failed. What what is Jesus' reaction? Well, verse 19, oh, faithless generation, how long am I to be with you? How long am I to bear with you? Jesus says, and that is probably the last thing that someone who has failed wants to hear from Jesus. But don't leave it there. I don't think that Jesus is exasperated at these disciples because they failed in their job to deliver this boy from this demon. Jesus is exasperated because of their unbelief. You see, the disciples believed in demon possession. They believed in the process of casting out demons. They even believed in themselves because they had just been doing this work But now they can't. Why can't we do this? Why are we failing here? And the key is that they believed in themselves. And believing in yourself is unbelief. As much as our culture likes to celebrate it, believing in yourself is actually unbelief. And that's their failure. That's why Jesus is exasperated. But don't miss the good news because Jesus actually answers his own question. You turn to the book of Matthew and you see the way it ends. How long am I to be with you? Jesus says, Matthew chapter 28, verse 20. Behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. He says this to the same disciples. I'm with you always to the end of the age. Oh, and, and, and you're too weak. Maybe this is also good news. All authority in heaven and earth has been given to me. And so what if we're too weak? What if... We fail. Well, he's patient and he's powerful. He's patient and he's powerful. This desperate dad doesn't know that yet. He doesn't know about Matthew 28 yet or the rest of Jesus' life. He has his doubts about Jesus in those days. Experts would tell you that the messenger of a man is the man himself. And so if the messenger failed, I have no reason to believe that the man himself wouldn't also fail what if this jesus is too weak what if jesus is too weak besides look what jesus is up against i mean this is this that's happening to this boy it's at least epilepsy although it's also affected his his speech his ability to communicate and and as you look it's more than just those things because this that's happening to him seems to have a personality. Do you see what happened in verse 20? The way when the spirit sees Jesus, it convulsed the boy and the boy falls to the ground and rolls about foaming at the mouth. And to make the diagnosis even more dire, the dad says, yeah, it does that and it also tries to kill him. It tries to throw him in the fire. It tries to drown him in the water. This is a heavyweight fight because Jesus is up against evil personified, a demon who is hell-bent on destroying this boy. And so the desperate dad asks in verse 22, but if you can do anything, have compassion on us and help us. Now, Mark the writer of this gospel wants us to remember another time when this kind of thing happened back in chapter one. Verse 40, the man uh, who is suffering under leprosy. He asked Jesus a question. The way he asked goes like this: "If you will, you can make me clean." Did you notice the difference? "If you will, but the desperate dad here says, "If you can." Jesus is saying all things, all things are possible for, for one who believes if you can. Nothing is out of Jesus' power. That's what he's telling him. That's what he's telling us. Nothing is out of Jesus' power. Everything is possible. Everything is possible. The, Eugene Peterson, the late pastor and the one who uh, came up with the message, um, communicates the idea of this passage this way. There are no ifs among believers. Anything can happen. I think there's an important lesson here for people like you and me. Um, Many of us are if you can people. Very few of us are if you will people. And Jesus wants to move us from can to will. Jesus can do anything to beat back and defeat the darkness in our world. That's the battle in the gospel of Mark that's building for us, and it is building gradually, chapter after chapter, and it's going to climax when Jesus goes to the cross, and he defeats the evil one himself, and he defeats death in the empty tomb. So don't ask if he can. Let's learn to ask if he will. Denomination that Dan mentioned, we have some catechisms and they teach us about what Christian prayer is. It's an offering up of our desires unto God for things agreeable with His ability, Uh -uh. with His will, with His will, like Jesus taught us to pray. Your will be done, your kingdom come on earth as it is in heaven. So Christian prayer doesn't say can, it says will god i know you can help and i want you to i need you to but you do your will because you are good and help me to trust you as you do your will we need to be will people not can people what if i fail well jesus is patient and powerful what if he's too weak he's not then what if my faith is too weak? Well, the desperate dad would say, welcome to the club, right? Did you hear the way he responds to Jesus? Verse 24, I believe, help my unbelief. This is such a great message. It's such a human message. I believe, help my unbelief. The dad admits, he confesses his belief and his unbelief basically in the same breath. And that just feels very, very real to the Christian experience, doesn't it? I don't know about you. Um, I promise you missionaries are not Christian heroes, but I find that sometimes my faith soars and it can be the next minute that it sinks. Going from faith to doubt back to faith to doubt to faith. It's a roller coaster. And so this question is relevant. What if my faith is to... Weak and what is strong faith anyway? Um, many people that we've ministered to over the years, or when we're out in the community doing evangelism, will say things to me like, Hey, uh, Andrew, I, I'm just I'm such a passionate Christian, um, I love God, um, I am so devoted to God. I am constantly going to church, I'm constantly praying, constantly telling other people about God, and I'm thinking to myself, like, oh, those are all really good things, but if but if that's all you have, then all you have is faith in your faith. It sounds like you have a strong faith in your faith. And that's not enough. That's just not enough. It's actually dangerous. Faith in your faith is not strong faith. Here's, here's what I mean. Um, three and a half, almost four years ago, um, I was in the hospital in Bogota. I messed up an artery in my neck, and I didn't realize how serious it was, but it was pretty serious. And long story short, basically, I'm in the hospital. They're diagnosing this problem. I have to take this particular medicine that's gonna make my blood really, really thin so that I don't have a stroke. I'm in there for 10 days and they're doing this treatment. And I had this really interesting interaction with my nurses. Uh, One of the nurses comes in, it's time to get me all dressed and like ready with my IV, and she sees my Bible sitting next to my hospital bed, and you know, here's this giant gringo and he's got an an English Bible there, Uh, are you a Christian, she says yeah, I'm I'm a pastor. Actually, I'm hoping that you guys can get me out of here so I can go preach in a couple days. I'm writing a sermon. I'm totally not going to preach that sermon. Um, She's like, I'm a Christian too. How amazing. In fact, I go to such and such church, which is led by the esteemed pastor so-and-so. And let me tell you, I am so passionate. I'm always doing stuff for that church. And I'm so devoted, et cetera, et cetera. This is what happens a lot to pastors. People tell you all these things, fine. But when she goes to hit my vein, she missed. And so she went again, and she missed, and again, and again. And my hand is starting to look like this pin cushion. I mean, it's gross. And then she did this. She stopped, and she said, we have enough faith, Lord, we have enough faith, and she hit me again, and she missed. I said, why don't we try this later? <laughs> A little bit later, another nurse, my favorite nurse, walked into the room, and she looked at my poor, pathetic hand, and she just said, uh, she crossed herself, and bam, hit me. No, no pain uh, Whatsoever. This illustrates the central message of Christianity. Please don't miss this. It's not the strength of our faith that saves us. It's the strength of our Savior. Let me say it another way. It's not the quality or the quantity of our faith that saves us. It is only the object of our faith that saves us. It is only Jesus Who saves us. And so, if you're here this morning and you're saying with me, I'm too weak, I doubt too much, I'm too iffy, then that's right, you are. That's the bad news. The good news is that Jesus saves people like us, He loves people like us. He loves to hear His people cry out desperately, dependent, like this desperate dad here, Help! Help! Even if that's the only prayer you can formulate that is a good prayer that is a saving prayer help and help my unbelief i can't believe enough jesus help that was the disciples problem too as the story finishes here they asked jesus later in the house hey jesus why couldn't we why couldn't we do this and jesus says that this kind cannot be driven out by anything but prayer you see they thought they had enough power and experience to drive the demon out themselves, and they had forgotten to pray. Believe it or not, they'd forgotten to pray. And prayer is how we rely on and summon the unlimited power of our God. And so a heart of faith is a heart that prays often, even if that prayer is as simple as, please help. A heart of faith is a heart that prays often for help. When this man says, help my unbelief, I love Jesus' response. Jesus doesn't say, oh, you know, go read your Bible, figure some things out. When you don't have any more doubts, then you can come to me and that's when I'm going to help. No. This man says, help my unbelief. And Jesus goes to action, right? Right? You mute and deaf spirit, he says, I command you, come out of him and never enter him again. You're the power in Jesus' voice. After crying out and convulsing him terribly, it came out, and the boy was like a corpse, so that most of them said, He is dead. But Jesus took him by the hand and lifted him up, and he arose. It's a miracle, it's unbelievable. The boy is healed, liberated, free, whole again. The dad is free. Wow, my son, I have him back. They can speak to each other. He can hear his son say, I love you, dad. Jesus had defeated evil and, in the process, alluded to the greater defeat to come. Because you see what it took for this boy to be delivered from evil, right? He almost died. People thought he was dead. Look, we are so messed up that in order for us to be delivered from evil, Jesus actually had to die. Spiritually, emotionally, physically, he had to suffer under his father's wrath on the cross. And he did it so that, Romans 10, everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. That's the ultimate cry for help. Help, Lord. Okay. Salvation through Christ, his finished work, his empty tomb. All who call out help to God will be saved. So what if? What if I fail? Well, he's patient and powerful. What if he's too weak? He's not. Then what if my faith is too weak? Welcome, welcome to the club. Actually, welcome to the church That woman in my office that day, um, she learned to cry out for help. Um, Actually, she learned to cry out for help in a beautiful way because she began for the first time in her life to be freed by the love of God, to know that God is never going to love her more or less than he already does in his son Jesus, and she's free to lead with a limp to tell people how needy and dependent she, she is. And when you lead a church and you find people like that, you say, why don't you lead a Bible study? Because we need people like you leading Bible studies. And so she did. She began to flourish. And it's not because she led with her strength, it's because she led with her weakness and her dependence on Jesus. If you ever have the opportunity to watch this very short documentary by ESPN called Catching Kayla, you should. It's about Kayla Montgomery. Um, She was the fastest girl in all of high school sports in my home state of North Carolina, uh, which is amazing because at age 14, she was diagnosed with MS, with muscular sclerosis. Uh, For most people, that sort of diagnosis would end your sports career but not for Kayla, she wanted to fight, she wanted to win, she wanted to compete. So she fought hard through her disease. And actually she discovered something fascinating, that her disease actually helped her to run fast. Because the way the disease worked on her body is that about a mile into the race, her legs would go totally numb. She couldn't feel them. She couldn't feel how tired they were. That was an asset but it presented a problem, she needed help. The documentary is called Catching Kayla because she desperately needed the help of her coach because she would hurt herself if she ran too fast and so she'd have to listen to her coach. All right, Kayla, that's good, that's good, now turn it on, turn it on, go, go. And when she got to the finish line, her coach was there waiting at the finish line because as soon as she stopped running, because her legs were so numb, she would immediately collapse and she would fall into his arms. If you watch this, you'll hear her say, help, help me, help me, my legs, help, help me. That needs to be the posture of our hearts, God's people. Totally dependent on Jesus, limping our way to Jesus failing into him, falling into him, often crying out to him, our only hope for help. And if the posture of your heart this morning is help me, Jesus, help me, then I can assure you that you are in good hands because you are in the nail-pierced hands of Jesus who loves you and will never stop. Let's pray. Lord, so often all we can formulate in our weary hearts is help. We know that you are good to listen to us and to know what we really need, and we trust you to give us what we really need. And so please make us a people who are dependent on you, Jesus, for everything that we need. By your Spirit, do this work in our hearts as we pray in your name. Amen.